Welcome to The Founder's Mind, a podcast powered by the Kadar Group. This is your host, Adam Mutzler. On this episode, we have Sarah Gibson Tuttle, founder and CEO of Olive and June. Listen in as Sarah shares how she went from the finance world to opening up a nail salon in LA to releasing an Olive and June nail polish line and why she's focused on disrupting a $9 billion industry. I want to welcome you, Sarah, to The Founder's Mind. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I really need to start by giving credit to the person that introduced me to you, which maybe not shockingly uh, is my wife, Erica. And Not surprised. Not surprised. I, not that I am against getting my nails done myself, although I have not. Uh, but she, you know, clearly my wife, Erica, is a fan of the show and she's very supportive. And every now and then she likes to throw out you know, oh, you should interview this person. And she said, I sh- you should interview Sarah. And I was like, I don't know who Sarah is. And she said, why don't I message her from your Instagram account? I was like, you can do anything you want. And that's what happened. She mess- So the message that you got was from, from Erica. And she, you know, I think she made a little ask and you responded. And here we are. I love that. I love, well, happy wife, happy life is hey. what I like to tell and remind my husband all the time. <laughs> So Erica, I wish you were here. I wish she was part of it. But um, no, it's funny. A lot of men in my life, um, some men of my life come in to the salons or do their own nails. But there are fair... I have heard that story before that a lot of men feel or get introduced to our brand either through their wives talking about it or credit card bills. So I'm deeply appreciative of the support. <laughs> well, that's awesome. And uh, also no surprise... Although maybe every now and then it's the other way around. Uh, I like to start with the show just to hear from, in your words, what is Olive and June? What are you working on? So Olive and June is a wonderful place. No, so Olive and June started as a collection of nail salons, um, super inspired by what Drybar had built in blowouts. And my background is that I worked in finance for 10 years at JP Morgan and Morgan Stanley. And I wanted to move to LA. So I started interviewing out in Los Angeles, would get my hair blown out at dry bar, fell in love with the concept. But my thing has always been nails. And I said to myself, I really want to create this experience in nails. And so Olive and June started as a nail salon in Beverly Hills and quickly grew to three locations in Los Angeles over about four years. And as we grew, what I realized was that we were serving thousands of women and making thousands of women happy every week. And I had a bigger vision to to make millions of women happy every week, you know, via nails for me when, and, and for the women that walk through those doors, like having your nails done is such a, it's such a happy feeling. Some people feel put together. Some people feel happy. Some people feel beautiful, but it's always an elevated version of yourself. And I wanted to deliver that in a bigger way to women. So recently, and we can talk about it further as that, like kind of how we got there, but recently we launched a suite of at-home products that we're super excited about that have sold out a few times. And it's, the response has been so um, intensely, like just it's, it's, it's given women such a sense of happiness and they've been able to have these beautiful manis and have them last a really long time. The formula, the polish formula people have been raving about, which makes me so happy because we spent so much time on it. But really, Olive in June is beautiful nails for everyone. And what started in the salon has become 
a, you know, an at home product line. That's amazing. And I think one of the things and just listening to that summation that you, that you shared that stands out is how did you get from finance to this, to nails besides your own passion? Yeah, it's like, it's so funny because it feels like now the pivot into a new industry feels, feels more normalized than it did even seven, eight years ago when it was, you know, first or even 10 years ago when it was first my idea to do it. I was working in finance and was like, I have to do something different. And kind of everyone around me thought I was crazy. Now, you know, Hillary Kerr has a, has a second life podcast where we highlight these women and it feels so good Mm. that it's become a little bit more normalized. Um, But my shift was really, I have always, both careers that I've had have been customer service focused. And I have always been essentially a client service rep. Like that's what, that's how I think of myself. I'm like, I deliver exceptional customer service. And so in finance, I was covering hedge funds and mutual funds, but mostly um, pretty pretty um, intense high volume hedge funds that you know were trading stocks. And so I was like, I was shepherding their orders from their trader to my trader and making sure that they were mm-hmm. happy with their executions. There's obviously other resources, IPO allocations, you know, analyst meetings, et cetera, that we were putting together. But essentially it was, it was working on trades, making people happy and work with very demanding clients. Um, that I, I still talk to many of them today. And I, I actually just like, I formed such an emotional connection with people when they are my clients. Yeah. So um, pretty na- just naturally so I want to make people happy. And, and so at some point I wanted to move to LA. I started, you know, interviewing for jobs out in Los Angeles. Um, and when I walked into Driver and had that feeling, it was really about, I loved how they were delivering the service to me which was similar to what I had been delivering for a decade. And so um, because I love nails, it wasn't actually that big, big of a kind of like second life moment because it was really, my job is essentially the same. I'm just making a different group of people happy for a different reason. You know, it's so interesting. I I had this conversation with Ruben Harris, who's the founder of Career Karma, which is a company that shepherds people into coding boot camps and out of coding boot camps and into jobs. And one of the topics that came up was transferable skills, which I like to call like, what are your transferable skills is something I like to talk about. And I feel like you just articulated that so perfectly, you know, these transferable skills that you had from your finance career and job that walked you right into Olive and June. Absolutely. And what are you uniquely good at and making sure that that becomes your focus of any job that you have in the future? What? So you're out in LA, you're going to dry bar, you're job hunting, you're interviewing, you're getting the lay of the land, uh, and you have this connection to you know how getting your nails done makes you feel and how it make, might make other people feel. How did you go from that experience to what was next? I mean, how did you get, what were the, some of the steps? You don't have to tell me all of them, but the ones that pop up now, because I know it's been uh, over six years, at least since you opened, it was six years. That's right. Um, so I didn't quit my job until I had the idea for all of in June. So I was still working in finance and I was, um, but I was coming out here for interviews and I was getting my hair blown out. And so 
I had that moment, that like aha moment when I was still in my former job. And so I literally turned to my now husband and said, I'm going to like, I'm going to create the dry bar for nails to which he was like, I would take pause on that and think about what that means. Um, but he was not so sure. Um, but once I had the idea, then it was like a matter of probably a month before I, I quit. Um, I unsuccessfully tried to get laid off. They were like, absolutely not. Um, you're like, you, but like, I'm really trying to suck at my job. Please. I'm, I was like, I'm just dying for nine months of severance. Will you give it to me? They were like, absolutely not. Um, I think they also knew when I tried to get laid off that I was going anyway. I think my boss knows how determined I am, right? Or former boss, um, <laughs> but a lovely human to, to be patient through that conversation. Um, but I, you know, so then I had the idea and then at some point I basically, I took that one way, um, I took that one way trip out to LA and then it was about, let me call it, it's probably about 10 months and I opened all of in June and then the interim steps of that was really all about learning everything I could about the industry. I got my nails done twice a week. Uh-huh. I was constantly talking to manicurists and other, you know, whether it be like beauty supply stores or manufacturers or um, brands in the space about their experiences. I went to a number of trade shows um, and trade shows are localized. So you actually don't want to go to a number of them, but I did because I didn't know that at first, Um, but I learned so much. Um, And I also went and I found some mentors and and one of those mentors was a... um, a salon owner in Northern California who I, you know, I hired to basically do a two day intensive for me, you know, and she taught me everything she knew about the business. And so, um, I really did everything I could to learn. I'm a naturally curious person, but I think in order to be a successful entrepreneur, you have to constantly be in that state of like being a sponge. And I was, it was, it was a really scary because I didn't know what I was doing next, but exciting because I was learning so much period of time for me. That's incredible. Have you, have you done something like this before? Like are there other moments in your life where you got this lightning bolts of a feeling and said, I'm going to do this thing? By the way, I think that's a question that no one has ever asked me. And I've had a lot of interviews. So I'm like very impressed. Um, because I literally thought to myself, I like I, I looked up into the sky and we're, you, you guys were not in the same studio. So like I looked up in the sky and was like, huh, that's a great question. What is the answer to that? Um, <laughs> I would say, so I wish there was like the, the, the emoji was in like real life. Um, we'll add it on social. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yes. I think that I, yes and no. The no is that I've never been an entrepreneur before mm-hmm. and I am I definitely get a little skittish sometimes around like making sure I'm, I can be conservative on money and there's different things that make me like a little bit risk averse. So the answer is like no outwardly. So about, um, about being entrepreneur, my dad is like a serial entrepreneur and mm. is like not, and is like risky a lot of times. Like he will, he'll bet the house and that is not my personality. I'm definitely more of a mix of my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess the outward answer is no. The, the other answer I would say is like, yes, because if you ask my parents, they would say that they knew I'd be an entrepreneur since I was a, like little kid, because I would like take ski school lessons when we went skiing and I would be, you know, skiing straight down the hill. Like, <laughs> and, and I would, and there's definitely moments of time I would do very bold things that I think a child who is risk averse would not do, whether it be like, 
you know, I used to do talent show performances where I did them by myself. Um, and like all my friends were doing a dance in a group and I did it mm. by myself. But there's definitely moments where I like had gut feelings or I was very like independent and very like, this is what I'm doing and very kind of my father's personality. Um, I also definitely have, I would say I, I era, I'm on the, I'm on, if there was a spectrum of people who have really good gut intuition, I'm on the, I'm on the good side. So there's definitely <laughs> moments I can read a situation or a room or a person before they, they even tell me. Um, so I guess the answer is like, yes and no. I've never been bold enough to do my own thing. And I often get asked what the biggest piece of advice is. And I say, if you are not like 150% yes on something, don't do it because mm. it takes that much of internal fortitude to make it actually real and happen. Yeah, you have to manifest this vision against everyone calling you crazy or your closest friends saying, I don't understand what you're doing. Totally. And you have to like, so desperate, like not desperately believe that, but like you have to so, it's like that irrational exuberance that you need to have. It, it has to ride you through all the valleys. And so it takes a lot of, um, definitive mindset in order to get there. And so I was not there on any of my other ideas, but I've definitely been there on other decisions in my life for sure. sure. I mean, yeah, I, was, yeah. I was married before my now husband. And when I made the decision that that was the wrong relationship for me in my early, early thirties, when all of my friends were getting married and mm. I was like, this is not, this isn't working. And by the way, we're both happily remarried now. And I think that we both would agree that, that that very hard gut decision that I made was, which was so hard at the time. Mm -hmm. But now we look back and think, thank God one of us made that decision. <laughs> um, but so there, there are those moments, those decisions that I've made in my life that have changed the course of my life that I think probably if my parents had been answering that question, they would have said, um, yes. <laughs> uh, but parents are a bit biased. Yes, I also think they could. They just had. They saw those decisions that I made that were pretty definitive. Um, but I never started a company before. You know, both my parents are entrepreneurs, so definitely my blood. But it's also I had to find the right idea. I mean, I think that's a really interesting. I'm glad that this came up. You know, about your parents being entrepreneurs, because my I I like to say I come from a family of entrepreneurs because my mom's had her own business my whole life, and my dad has had businesses. Um, and my brother has a business and all everyone, like you could point, you could throw a stone in my, at a family gathering and there's probably like five to 10 businesses. Um, but that's kind of interesting that there was a blueprint, whether or not you felt connected to it until you had this, this moment. Um, one of the things that you mentioned though, is this, like, you, you kind of doubled down on your gut and this idea that you feel very, you listen to your gut and that it's generally served you really well. Um, people struggle with that. Do you, are there any components to making a gut decision for you that maybe you go through rapid fire or that you, that you sort of ruminate on that help? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, not, they go, they go very rapid fire for me. Um, and I actually have recently tried to pull back on making that snap judgment first <laughs> and really I, this, my the team around me is much more mm. methodical and analytical 
and data-driven than I am. And it's a really good balance because I think there's often times where I make a decision and it's pretty emotionally driven. Um, So my check and balance now is more so like going to the team that I've hired to, that I've, that like, and I really think of it as partnering that like I've partnered with that is smarter than I am at many things to counterbalance it. I would say though that I, um, I think I'm, a, I, I think people are smart in different ways. You know, I think there's book smarts. I think there's, um, street smart and I think there's people smart. And I think I am, if anything, by the way, hopefully I'm one of them. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm, pe- I think I'm people smart. And so when I'm dealing with a people question, I really just like, I listen to what my gut says because I think that I, I'll, friends will be mad at me and they don't even know they're mad at me. And I'll be like, are you okay? What, what did I do? And like, and I just will know that I've said something because I can be pretty blunt or, you know, and, and then they'll be like, well, something like, I didn't know it's not really bothering me. And you're like, yes, it is. Just like, tell me, um, let's make this better. I, I will apologize, but also I will work on myself. But I think it's, um, I would say ultimately on the people side, I kind of let my, my gut guide on the business side. I try to, the, the checks and balances are really, does the data support this? Does do the numbers support this? Do we, you know, like, for example, if we, if there's a part of our business that is having some trouble getting off the ground, whether any part of our, you know, our business, I'll go to the numbers and say, is it actually a real business that we need to be emotionally investing in, mm-hmm. you know, before, and I'll look at the numbers before I'll make the decision. So, um, I guess the answer is like, I don't have a set guide, but I try to get all the analytical side in, into my brain before I make a decision because I can, I find that it just makes it more informed. Yeah. And there's, there's, for me, there's a distinction, especially when you're starting something from the ground up, like Olive and June, there's a founder mentality and a, and a sort of a set of behaviors as a founder that are crucial to create something out of thin air. And when I say thin air, I mean like bringing something from your mind into the world, but there's yeah. a whole nother set of skills needed to be an executive and say, okay, this thing is in the world now, but how do we blow it up? How do we expand it? How do we take it you know, further than we could possibly have envisioned on day one? And yeah. what, I, what I just heard from you is a little bit about that, that executive mentality, you know, bringing in those people that compliment you or challenge you to not just be better in your own way, but also let go of certain things. Yeah, I mean... You answered the question. <laughs> Can you answer all my questions? <laughs> you know, I think people would be pretty disappointed if they were tuning into a podcast to listen to Sarah and, and they got this guy, Adam, although it would be kind of comical. I mean, I'm into it. I'm like, please write all of my, all of my future like <laughs> investor questions, <laughs> investor answers. No, I, I think it's true. I think ultimately to your point, like there is a hustle and a drive um, and there is a like muscle that, and then it's once it's born really, um, then it's how do we scale it? And that is a totally different set of skills. And I, um, I am so proud to still be the CEO. Mm. Um, and I hope to be the CEO as long as possible. I also totally understand why people get management teams. Like I, I appreciate that so much. It's not in our near future, but I, but I just understand it because it can very quickly um, surpass your own skill set. 
and and frankly, what are going back to what are you uniquely good at? Yeah. Um, I'm not actually uniquely good at management. So mm-hmm. I don't think that management will be, you know, in five years, no matter where Olive and June is at that point, I don't think that that will be, you know, the core of my, um, of my job description. And we recently hired a GM where that is one of her unique, you know, talents. And so it's like really surrounding me with people that, that can do those jobs really, really well. Hi all quick break to tell you about the founders mind plus it's all the interviews of guests you love plus bonus episodes with additional stories and anecdotes, shout outs in future episodes of founding funders. That could be you and opportunities to get some cool swag from the show. You can upgrade by following the link in the show notes or go to thefoundersmind.com backslash plus. Thanks for following along. Back to the show. I think that, that that's such a great point. And the question that comes to my mind is, how did you go about building that team? I mean, you opened your first location in, in 2013. And I, you know, I did some reading. So you, have a couple, you, had a, you kind of went from one to several locations in L.A., um, and it, you know, still, uh, sounds like it was still a retail business, you know, with locations, but how did you start growing that team that supports not just retail locations, but products? And I'm looking at Instagram, there's a target highlight here. Like, how did you create that team? Yeah, it happened pretty organically. I mean, our brand director was a friend before we launched and she, she kind of got involved as a friend and then it became really clear that on a brand side, I mean, this is before like brand was king, you know, now brand is king, but it, yeah. like we kind of just knew we, she and I intuitively knew how important brand was going to be really, she knew. Um, so she helped guide me. And then I asked to be part of the business. Um, our CFO, COO came on because I was drowning and I was, mm. you know, doing it all myself and, she was also had been, you know, a friend and and it kind of helped me in an, an advising capacity just to help me. And then was like, you have a real business here. Let me. I would love to come on in a in a real way, which I was like, yes, please. Um, and so that kind of happened organically. And then as we launched these products, you know, and then we had we've had people in different roles and we've tested things out. And we've been lucky because the salon businesses um, are profitable they've i've been able to kind of figure out on the corporate side what that looks like sure um because i didn't i i don't come from like i'm not a warby alum right i don't i didn't know all the things that you know like jen and steph at away do right which is so incredible and of course like i just got my first away piece of luggage by the way literally today it arrived it's amazing i mean what they've built and what they're building and it's incredible and so and i'm and now that i have a gm that that is from the few DCC companies, the Honest Company, et cetera. Like I now know like what hyperspeed that can give you. Um, but, and so I'm just like, of course, I'm just like in such awe, but also I'm like, oh, you ha- like you knew a few of the hacks and the tools along the way, which I did not know. Um, so I got to kind of figure it out um, somewhat happily, somewhat painfully. I mean, there's just moments of like, you don't, you kind of don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but once we launched the product business, with a really that small team, um, one of our advisors said, I have the perfect person for you. So it's, it's all been honestly surrounding yourself with the right people on the advising and investing side. And like, just, I think being open to kind of knowing what you don't know so that the right people get introduced to you. Um, 
but we have a long, I mean, we have a very small team and, and we have a, a lot of teams to build. And so, um, I think I've been super fortunate and lucky, honestly. Um, good karma, I suppose. Good karma. How do people so. plan for good karma? <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, I think I have been, I am like the most, uh, supportive friend, right? Like I truly, and, and I hope that my friends is too, but I think I'm a pretty supportive friend. I'm, I'm always willing to like show up for someone. And so I think when I then was looking for a GM or I was actually looking for a head of marketing, but, um, when I sent out, I remember when I sent out that email, I got like a hundred responses of people being like, what about this? What about this? Look at it this way. How do you, and then our advisor, same thing. I just feel like because I put out a lot of like love and, and, and I've done anything I could for people, they respond. And I think building that a real network, not just quote networking, but actually mm. building a real network of, of people that you have helped and, and ask for nothing in return just because you want to help. I think then that good karma comes back. I think a lot of people look at it. I was at, I was on a Create and Cultivate panel like five years ago. I remember someone said, can you tell us how to best network? And I was like, and people were talking about how to network. And I like, my answer was like, if you are networking, it's the wrong, you're already you're starting already with the wrong intention. Oh my God. Yeah, it's like the wrong intention. It's like, because I love ultimately, this. yeah, it's like ultimately like, how I think of it, like, how can I be helpful? Mm-hmm. Because I get really excited when people succeed. Like I recently connected a, someone pretty major in private equity with one of my friends who's starting a business of which that private equity investor has owned a business in that space in mm-hmm. the past. Like it will be the perfect connection for mm-hmm. both of them in so many ways. And I like, I, and I pay full price in that, but like, I, there's no world of like, I buy that stuff literally full price. Like I've not, I never would ask. And that's like one of my best friends. Like for me, it's like, how do you connect people because it's good for them? And if you, and and I would say to anyone, like if that's your mindset, it will all come back to you. That's so good. There's, I, I honestly, one, 1000% agree with you and like cosign all the millennial terms and Gen Z terms that would say, yes, what you just said. But they, like, I like to say networking is a byproduct of building relationships. Right. And so if you focus to your point, and I'm literally just regurgitating what you shared, but if you focus on those relationships and you focus on that value, you end up with a network. You know, but if I, you... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, I, and, so, and so, but go in with the right intention. Yeah. And the rest of it just happens. I mean, but I also believe in manifestation. I mean, I could talk about the secret. I mean, I could keep going on like a whole, but it's, to me, it's just create meaningful relationships, like, mm-hmm. and take the word networking and like throw it in the trash. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I totally agree. And when I work with clients and I talk to people and I, you know, whether they're, whether, whether I'm working with them directly or we're mentoring or it's just a coffee, it comes up. How do you connect with other people? And people, you know, people have a really negative connotation for networking because you imagine the person that's like, I've, I've spoken at events and someone has come up to me and given me a business card without saying anything to me and said, you should email me. And I'm like, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you do. And this is really weird. And I was actually talking to someone else and I don't know what's going on here. Like th- there's a really negative connotation because a lot of people aren't good at it and people don't understand the true value of, of, of digging into 
those relationships. And you don't need to know everyone, by the way. I agree with that as well. <laughs> it is you know, hard for me because I genuinely like people, but I agree with that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I'm a super extrovert. I, I tell... I. And and Erica is a little bit on the other side of the spectrum. And I say I work in a I work at WeWork. We talked about that earlier. Um, and I go to a lot of events. And I you know I, I work in a lot of other community spaces. And the extreme extrovert in me says, if you make eye contact with me, it's a nonverbal agreement that I can say hello to you. Doesn't mean we can say anything else, but I'm at the very least that I'm going to say hello. Um, and it's led to a lot of incredible things. Uh, but I think that people, again, to your point, there. It's just, on average, not the best at it. What? So this is not an industry you've been in your entire life. Um, this is, at least at a glance, a second career, if not a third one. I don't know a lot of your older ones beyond finance. What's one of the more surprising things that you've learned along the way? Um, <laughs> so many. I think. I think I've learned a lot about myself and I think I've learned that I'm only uniquely good at a few things and that when I tr- it's so clear when you are when you when the job description matches what you're good at you're like on fire like mm. it you couldn't be stronger in your role and when it doesn't it literally just drags you down and slows you down and you are just not the best version of yourself and so I've really tried to learn how to how to have people I tried not to say I like this person and they're a hustler so let's put them in this job <laughs> it's like are, is that the best is that like, going to make them the happiest too right it's like really trying that's probably on the business side the most surprising is that I used to think that a lot of hustle could get you anywhere <laughs> and I think that's true-ish I think that really you explode to the upside when you have um people who have like real talent in real um, parts of their job and they're able to focus on that. That's a, I don't even want to touch that because it was so well said. No, I'm just going to leave you. it there. <laughs> um, what's a, what's one of the, what's, what's a challenge that comes to mind? A big one that you navigated. I'm sure there was more than one. There's so many. Um, I think I think something that people don't talk about is cost of goods that I, mm. I think is like a really interesting challenge. When we first launched our Saturday sandals, which are, are technically our first product, um, our cost of goods were we could never have gone to wholesale with that product. We were we were paying so much that sandal, um, and what we were marketing at, you know, what we what our MSRP, which is our obviously our retail price. Mm-hmm. Um, we could just have never gone to wholesale. And then when we did beauty tea, which is tea that you drink to that promotes stronger nails and nail growth, same issue. Um, I learned that challenge of figuring that out and realizing that if you go to wholesale, you know, everyone says like, Oh, it probably takes some cost them like a dollar and they're selling it for 20. And by the way, those are not our margins. I wish they were, um, <laughs> but it's, but it's like, you know, people like talk like that. It's like, there are so many other costs other than what it costs to produce that product. There is packaging, there's, there is shipping, there is fulfillment, there is marketing, there is headcount. Like there are so many, there's components. There's like, it's just, it's unbelievable how much adds on to that. And so, um, 
cost of goods was a big challenge, but something that we, once we finally launched the nail product, really we had under control. And I'm very thankful that we did a few products that weren't totally in this, that were kind of tester balloons because we learned so much. I wish someone had pulled me aside and taught me that. Like, I think if I'd been a Warby alum, I would have known that going in and it would have been so, so helpful. Yeah, but you've mentioned Warby a couple of times. They've done a great job. And obviously we talked about a way they've done a great job. I always, I always look at my story and other people's stories and there are ripple effects with everything in life. So if you were a Warby alum, you might not even, not, might not even started Olive in June. You might have thought about something else and maybe it would have worked. Maybe it wouldn't have. Right. No, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I don't regret anything. It's just more, I, I wish there was a little bit of a handbook. <laughs> I, and, and by the way, there could be, I could write one. So maybe that's, that'll be my third career. Your third career, right? The ha- handbook. Yeah, exactly. Would, I think you just call it the handbook. Real yeah, like simple. How I mean, to, that's, how, that's how branding is. How now, right? like super basic titles. You know, like, what is this? And you read it and then it's about, you know, retail and all these other things and building an empire, which it sounds like you're, you're on your way. Uh, at least if you look at Instagram and you look at some of the relationships that you have and, you know, you're showing up in Target and this, it feels a little empire-esque. Um, Olive and June feels like an empire. Yeah, yeah. I mean, your lips to God's ears. I hope that, I hope that um, someday that, that I don't know that it ever to the founder feels like an empire. I think ultimately you're always working to the next goal. Oh, yeah. um, That's such a Target good point. was really, yeah, Target was really exciting. I mean, we sold out in a couple of weeks to Target mm-hmm. and I felt there's probably no retail store I like better than Target. So <laughs> it was, and for my daughter and I, where we go there every week to go and see a sold out end cap was, really fun for both oh my of gosh, us that must have been so cool it was great and then i i was recently in florida with my mom and we were going down um for like you know one of my family members is sick and that was like a rough weekend right but then we we literally the one escape we had was to go to target because she was like can we just go see the end cap before it's, she wanted had never seen it and to <laughs> go and have it be sold out with my mom there was just like there were these moments in life that um i guess the empire f but um, it's really quite wonderful. I think that we, as we continue to build, honestly, the, the goal for all of in June is in 10 years, if a mom and daughter, a mom's like, you want to go get your nails done? And the daughter's like, what are you talking about? I did it myself. Um, that's, that's the conversation we want women to be having. So that's when I think I'll feel like we've built something like a real movement where women can really own this part of their beauty routine versus it's the only part of their beauty routine where they feel pretty lost. I think we just leave it there. I have other questions in mind, but we're coming up on the hour. And I think that that really sums it up. I mean, enabling people to do things for themselves, whatever it is, and people can make claims about, you know, how meaningful or not meaningful something is, but just creating that opportunity, you know, for people to, to do their nails and to, you know, do something that boosts confidence or whatever it is for that individual. Uh, it's a great endeavor. Oh, thank you. It, it feels really good. Empowering women is a, even if it's in something as, as I guess in some ways, like small as like your manicure. Um, for me, that feels very big, but it's empowering women in any way, men and women, but to be fair, mostly women here. Um, 
it's a wonderful thing. Like it, it, it truly is the reason I get out of bed every day. So it feels great. That's awesome. Uh, and plus you have llama stickers, it looks like on, uh, on your website and who doesn't like llamas? Who doesn't like llamas? That's a great question. <laughs> we should do that as like a social question. Do you, or do you not like llamas? And if you don't, maybe you should unfollow. Just kidding. Yeah. Or at the very least an interview question. For your job, yeah, maybe for, for, for maybe careers. you need an intervention, like of course. Yeah. And by the way, our little llama has a little like blanket on its back because it's cold. <laughs> so that's what we're doing here. Thank you so much for having me on. This was so wonderful. And obviously, if anyone has any questions, I run our social. So if they want to DM me at Olive in June or on my personal at Gibson Tuttle, they totally can. I'm happy to answer any and all questions all the time. So well, that, that's full circle because this show. This episode, this conversation happened because of a message on Instagram. Yeah. So, so I can attest that Sarah is behind the messaging function on Instagram. Uh, and she's got I an am. awesome team that was very supportive of, of scheduling the time. So real quick shout out to them. Brittany and I have been emailing, uh, which is oh, just, a, yeah, which is just a, another highlight. Surround yourself with incredible people and you can do incredible things. Um, Thank you so much for being on this, this show, Sarah. I can tell you that Erica is at home, very jealous that she is not able to just listen in or be a part of this or that we could do it in person somewhere. Uh, so thank you again. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Founder's Mind. Check back weekly for full episodes. If you like what you're hearing, sign up for The Founder's Mind Plus for two to four bonus episodes each month in addition to the full episodes and other dope benefits. Sign up for the Founders Mind Plus through the episode notes or by going to thefoundersmind.com and clicking the plus link. To make sure you don't miss any awesome wisdom from guests and stay up to date on the most recent episodes of the show, be sure to visit thefoundersmind.com. You can also follow along on social at the Founders Mind. Last but not least, thank you to Roy Matz for the music on this show and his dope editing skills that make the Founders Mind possible. Until next time, take care. In the world, going through all of this insanity and try to bring new ideas, make them a reality. Illuminate in the thoughts, make it a priority to implement what you learn, what you get is what you be. In a world full of noise, hard to find that clarity to try to lead subtly, never full of vanity. And try to change something small or try to change humanity. Power forward through the dark, founder's mind is what you see. Founder's mind is what you see. Founder's mind is what you see.